Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a small business owner, a Catholic, and a lot of other things. But right now, I'm your host on this episode of All Things Women's Health. From childbirth to infertility, from pregnancy loss to menopause, or homeschooling to personal trainers, if it involves women and their health, it's on the agenda for All Things Women's Health. Joining me today are two remarkable women that I've had the privilege of working with, Sarah King and Julia Baker, both occupational therapists who've recently joined the Fertility and Midwifery Care Center team. Pregnancy, labor, birth and the postpartum period, they take their toll on a woman's body. There's just no debate about that. What's worse, the tremendous physical demands of the postpartum period can aggravate already traumatized muscles and joints. Toss in a healthy dose of sleep deprivation, undereating, and dehydration, and you've got a recipe for real problems. As occupational therapists, Sarah and Julia are going to share with us how they can make things better during this unique time period. So get comfortable as we get to know a lot more about occupational therapy and all it has to offer women in the postpartum period and beyond. We'll be right back with all things women's health. Well, Sarah King and Julia Baker, welcome back, and thanks for joining us on All Things Women's Health. Today, All Things Occupational Therapy. Let's start with uh, some easy questions, and and Sarah, I'll look to you to begin. Tell us, you know, as they say, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you um, for having us on. Um, Wow. Um, So a little bit about me. I am... um, the mother of three girls here on earth, two in heaven, and um, got into the field of occupational therapy kind of by accident. Um, I was an athlete my entire life and uh, ended up going to the University of Indianapolis where I was a thrower. And so... Now, I have to stop you because I'm wondering, <laughs> does that mean, you know, Frisbees? What, what does it mean? No. Softball? A little bit heavier than that. <laughs> uh, I threw the shot put, the uh. javelin, the discus, the hammer, the weight, all uh, heavy implements, um, which ultimately led me to meeting my husband. So it wasn't an all bad thing <laughs> um, and kept me out of trouble while, while I was in college. Um, but I often found myself in the athletic training room thought I was going to go a route of athletic training um, and then PT school. And I observed a physical therapist and honestly was bored out of my mind. (laughs) And I kept looking over at what this other person was doing. And um, she was an occupational therapist. And I was just um, in awe of what she was doing Mm. with her client. And so had a conversation with her and Uh, ended up exploring that field even further and fell in love with uh, the holistic approach, the whole body approach, um, really taking the person and the the activity that they want to do and making it work for that individual. Um, But now I think you studied 
psychology as an undergrad. I right? did. I did. <laughs> I started as a chemistry major. Oh. <laughs> and got That's to organic. Yes, yeah. got to organic chemistry and said no, thank you. And about the time that I was exploring that OT versus PT, um, it became clear that I needed a better understanding of how the human brain works and so that's where i landed in psychology mm, interesting yeah and then so you, you finished your degree in psychology then you went to graduate school correct um i did a traditional four years of undergrad and then two and a half of the graduate program um that is a little bit different now i think you can get right into ot school as a freshman mm. um and kind of work work your way that way but um six and a half years was was my plan so you have a master's in i do master's in occupational therapy that's what it's called. and okay. uh, bachelor's in psychology all right and then so what happened after graduate school so after graduate school i went on a couple of clinical rotations found myself working in an outpatient clinic in lafayette indiana while my husband went through med school and um, had a little bit of experience with home health, with low vision, with neuro, um, inpatient, outpatient, psych. Uh, it was just a, a huge learning opportunity. Uh, and from there, I uh, moved to North Carolina and was living in Winston-Salem for uh, five years, where I then uh, was able to use my OT as a clinical educator. So I was in assisted living communities, independent living communities, making sure that the staff OT, PT, and speech therapists mm. were doing good quality care mm. with the residents that we served. And then how in the world did you get to Fort Wayne, Indiana? Well, Fort Wayne um, found us uh, when my <laughs> husband started his urology career. And um, we came and observed the city, and we were blown away by the number of Catholic churches <laughs> after living in the South <laughs> for a long time. You and um, I could do a separate show on that. Yes. I had a similar experience. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, yeah, there were two Catholic churches in the same size city as Fort Wayne, and so it was it was nice. It was a we're both from Indiana. We were looking for a bigger city feel than where we grew up. And um, Fort Wayne was it. Mm. And so we've been here since 2014. Wow. Wow. So you're joined by your, your partner in therapy, I guess I should say. And partner uh, in crime. And that's, crime right. that's right. So Julia, do the same thing. Tell us, you know, a little bit about you. Um, well, I'm glad to be here also. Um, I have four daughters. And so Sarah and I joke frequently that that's why women's health is so important to us is because we have seven daughters that are going to need a lot of women's health. <laughs> so um, I grew up here in Fort Wayne, mm. actually. I grew up at St. Jude Parish here in Fort Wayne, went to grade school there. I graduated from Bishop Dwanger. And then I wanted to escape, so I went, you know, to Illinois. And <laughs> I went to Bradley University for my undergraduate degree. I got my undergraduate degree in health science and sociology, mm -hmm. and I minored in psych. And then I went to um, the University of Indianapolis also. We, Sarah and I were not there at the same time. Oh. But I went to the University of Indianapolis to get my master's in occupational therapy. Um, right after I graduated, pretty much. Uh, Steve so and what I, led you in, into the field? So I think my story is very similar to Sarah's in the sense of physical therapy is a more well-known therapy sure. when it comes down to it. So I think I knew I wanted to be in healthcare, 
and I didn't want to be a pharmacist like mom, <laughs> but I had an aunt who was a physical therapist, and mm. so I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist also. But it's highly encouraged and honestly required before you go to graduate school to do a certain amount of shadowing hours. And also, I had a job as a therapy assistant at a mm. skilled nursing facility, so my job entailed um, transporting patients back and forth from their room to the gym, helping therapists with um, filing their paperwork, et cetera. And so I got to be intimately involved in a therapy department. And similar to Sarah, the more I watched PT, it was nice and I think it's valuable and I love all of my physical therapy counterparts, <laughs> but the OT was what really spoke to me. Um, this idea of daily activity, like applying it to daily activities that have value individually to each person's life and that they're unique was just special to me. And so I decided I wanted to be an occupational mm. therapist. So how did you get back to Fort Wayne? What, what drew you back here to Northern Indiana? Um, well, uh, we had had three children down in Savannah and we had them two years apart each. And it just came to be time where uh, it was time to be closer to family. I did have mm -hmm. some family with some health issues and it was it was time to come home to be closer to family. So we started hunting and we were just trying to get back in the area and my husband was blessed to find a job actually here in Fort Wayne where I live in the same town as my mother-in-law and my parents and get to spend plenty of time with family. Nice. Well, the community's lucky that both of you found your way to and back to uh, to Fort Wayne. Yeah, completely unrelated to our topic, but it amazes me in talking to young couples all day, every day in my job, how many people um, started off here, one of them started off here, and they went away and kind of did their college thing, maybe got married, and it seems like right around the time they start growing their family, or even talking about growing their family, they think about coming back to the Midwest and back to Northern Indiana in particular. It just, it seems to happen too often to just be a coincidence, but it it's says a lot true. to the community. Fort Wayne's a great place to raise a family. Now yeah. I do miss the Savannah weather. If we could have convinced, <laughs> if we could have convinced everybody to move to Savannah, we might've been there still for the weather, but. Yeah, having lived a decade in Southwest Georgia, I was below what they call the Nat line there. Savannah's above the Nat line. <laughs> so uh, I had no desire to get back to Southwest Georgia. But, uh, but again, I was, I was with the Nats, and you, you were not. Well, let's move on maybe more specifically. And uh, you ladies talk to listeners about occupational therapy. I mean, I will admit, you know, when I was in school, medical school, I remember hearing about occupational therapy. And I think at one point I thought, oh, that means you learn how to do whatever occupation you have. You're an occupational therapist. And then I can remember also thinking, oh, they are people specialized in helping you figure out what it is that you want to do. <laughs> Both are noble jobs, <laughs> I suppose, but that's not what you do. So tell us really in detail, what is occupational therapy? So uh, whenever I explain occupational therapy to everyone, I used to like to use the simple definition that occupational therapy helps you with what occupies your time. So our definition of an occupation is not necessarily just what you do to make a living, but it's uh, tasks that have value to you and that you need to be able to complete in order to do your day. Also tasks that um, you enjoy, like hobbies or um, spending time with family. So I would be willing, so 
an occupation for you would be having the strength and the fine motor skills and the skills that you need in the operating room. Mm. And that would apply to your occupation um, as a surgeon. But I'm willing to guess that an occupation for you also would be being able to get on the floor to play with your grandchildren. (laughs) So that similarly is an occupation. So for children, an occupation would be being able to sit at a desk, um, hold a pencil correctly. It would also be playing on the playground. Um, Many occupations you think of as basic ADLs. So being able to dress yourself, being able to bathe yourself, being able to toilet. I worked in rehab when I first graduated and we used to joke when we were trying to explain that the PTs will help you walk down the hall, but the OTs will make sure that you're not walking down the hall in your birthday suit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you, when you describe occupational therapy like that, are you thinking of it in terms of a a post insult or a, a post injury? or just how to be better at those activities of daily living in general for, for the well person, or maybe both? It's absolutely a combination of both. Uh, so in your typical settings of rehab, you're looking at rehabbing from an injury, a stroke, mm. a hip fracture, that type of thing. But there's also a whole component of preventative medicine that we like to, to practice and to work with because we believe that the, a, a person is a unique individual who should be able to participate in the things that they want to participate in and that hold value mm. for them as an individual. I think one of the most rewarding um, treatment sessions I have ever had was I had a client who could not kneel at church. <laughs> And we got her back to kneeling <laughs> at mass. And that was just so, um, you know, life-giving to her. It goes beyond just looking at a body part mm-hmm. and how that person is able to function within his or her environment. Um, as occupational therapists, one of our greatest skills, one of our greatest assets is to be able to do task analysis. So when we interview our patients on day one, we talk about what what do you enjoy? What have you stopped doing because of pain or because it's hard to do or difficult to do? What would you like to be able to do again? And then we kind of build their treatment around those things that are important for each individual. It's interesting, for whatever reason, I seem to take care of a lot of dental hygienists. Um, And especially when they're pregnant, they seem to all struggle with neck and back and shoulder problems, but they spend their days in goofy positions, don't they? Sure. So you helping them avoid injury if they are not already injured or helping them do better at their job, that's an example maybe of, of what an occupational therapist would do. Absolutely, yep. So you know, maybe if we use that as an example, um, the dental hygienist in goofy positions, what, what would you do? What would that look like in you trying to help someone like that? So first of all, I think um, a, a narrative of what what their job looks like. What are the requirements of that occupation so that we have a good understanding? Because I, I can conceptualize what a dental hygienist does, but it not it might not be what that <laughs> dental hygienist sitting in front of me does. Sure. You know, things like do they stand throughout the entire session or are they on a stool where they have to roll back and forth? Mm. Um, And how do they roll that stool? Are they using one foot all of the time so that now there might be some misalignment in the pelvis because one hamstring is stronger than the other um, because they're using the heel of their foot to maneuver themselves around? Uh, Are they always reaching over the client in the chair so that 
their center of gravity is um, their back is having to do all of that work or can we get them closer to the client in the chair so having a having the person walk us through the our our patient walk us through what their specific job requirements mm. are and what it looks like and even going into that workplace if we it's need just, to or having having pictures of that yeah ahead. looking at the environment mm-hmm. a lot of times we'll have people take a picture of the environment to look at it and see what changes can we make what changes can't we make <laughs> and we would work on preventative care of course of like how can we do this differently so that you don't ache so that you don't have pains mm-hmm. there are some things that we can't change like we can't can't necessarily change that you're going to have to be bent over um, and that you have this big weight now on your abdomen. But we can provide you with exercises or stretches at the end of the day to help undo some of that work. Some exercises for core strengthening, um, some breathing exercises to get things back opened up so that we don't have the shortened shortened pecs, Mm -hmm. creating rounded shoulders, creating Mm -hmm. the back tightness. we can look at what can you do at the beginning and the end of your day to maybe help with with the issues that we're having, but we can't necessarily change them because of the requirements of your job and the environment in which you perform it. Sure, if you lift in a factory, you lift in a factory. You can't change that unless you change jobs, right? But I'm hearing you say maybe you could help the person in the factory that lifts lift longer, lift better, and without damaging their back. Absolutely. Yeah, we joke and say sometimes for our nurses who are listeners, you know, what do you call a nurse with a good back? You know, lazy is the answer. Now, <laughs> that's that's not good. I might argue one with bad body <laughs> mechanics, personally. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or, or body mechanics that could improve. Not necessarily bad, but... Yeah. Yeah. I've watched through the years so many nurses, and we, we all do it, where we lean over the bed and pull the patient up purely with our lower back. Mm-hmm. But you do that for 15 or 20 years, and you're going to pay a price, aren't you? Yes. Yes, you will. So uh, if, if we use, you know, that example, maybe, of a nurse who has to lift patients up in bed, what are some of the things that that you would notice typically them doing, and what are some of the things that you would typically do about it besides maybe yelling at them, you know? What what else would you do? I think a lot about it, a lot of it is learning new body movement patterns. Mm -hmm. So a big one that we teach a lot is a hip hinge. in the lifting world, you would think of it more of a pattern like a deadlift. Mm-hmm. So, so many people round at the back and rounding at the back is not something that you should never do. It's just not something that should be your primary sure. movement. That's you using your paraspinal muscles, your lower back muscles to do all of the work for the lifting. But we've got these glorious gluteus muscles <laughs> and these hamstrings that are actually much stronger and intended to do more of the work than the lower back muscles. But the, the glute muscles can only do that work if they're put in a position to pull on the joints correctly and the, the, the body mechanics. And a lot of times that takes just a lot of movement retraining. Uh-huh. Um, so some of it has to do with body awareness and some people have better body awareness than others, too many Bs. Um, but taking the time to slow down and say, okay, this is what a hip hinge looks like. Now let now let's see you do it. Okay, now let's correct this pattern. And first just starting with the movement pattern period. Then we can work towards weighting the movement pattern and then we can take this pattern that we've built and we can put it in the environment 
so that it can be used on a daily basis. And suddenly when you're using your glute muscles the way they were intended, your lower back is like, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. So how might, you know, your average patient find their way to an occupational therapist? Well, uh, lucky for the patients here, they can come (laughs) see us here um, at uh, our office in the birth center. But um, the the National Organization for Occupational Therapy has um, on their website, you can search for occupational Mm -hmm. therapy in my area. Um, And so that would be at AOTA.org. And then there are, you know, other... um, places on uh, in Fort Wayne that offer occupational therapy. But as far as I know, I think we are unique in this pregnancy and postpartum world for sure. occupational therapy in the Fort Wayne area. Yeah. Well, we'll get, let's definitely get to that in a second. But thinking in the physical therapy world, you know, there are all of these rules about insurance coverage and referrals and those sorts of things. Help us understand a little bit more about that. Do do I need to see my primary care physician to get to an occupational therapist? Does it require a referral? How does all that work? So in the state of Indiana, you can uh, self-refer to, so you can set up an appointment with an occupational therapist and have an evaluation um, and be seen for 42 calendar days before physician involvement is required. Mm. Um, And so sometimes patients don't uh, need that physician uh, referral or approval and their whole plan of care is over. Now the caveat being insurance. Mm. Insurance (laughs) typically will demand that an evaluation and a referral be done. So um, if you're out of pocket, then that isn't necessarily the case. But each insurance carrier that I've ever worked with requires that um, an order be signed by a physician before. In advance. mm -hmm, Before the start of care. For our dental hygienist or for our nurse with a sore back, they might see their primary care physician who might say, gee, I I think you should see an occupational therapist uh, and then make the referral. Correct. Uh, and then you referenced insurance, our favorite thing to hate sometimes, I know. But um, in general, occupational therapy services are covered by insurance plans, correct? They are, and, and in, in the same realm as physical therapy. Mm. I also find that um, most doctors, even if they are not necessarily aware or, or ready to, not ready to, what am I trying to say? Let's say they, it's not their first inclination or their first thought, oh, sure. I should refer this person to OT. Mm-hmm. If somebody's interested in seeing an OT, most doctors, if you come to them and say, I hey, see, yeah. I would like to see an occupational therapist, would you provide me with the referral? Mm-hmm. I don't find very many doctors saying, no, I'm not going to. Sure, I could see that. Well, let's move to uh, our area, you might say, and that is women's health. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, we're really lucky at the Fertility Midwifery Care Center and Holy Family Birth Center to have you wonderful ladies on our team. But let's talk about that because your subspecialty area, you might say, it deals with women and particularly women after having given birth. So let's talk some about that. 
Sure. So um, this area of occupational therapy actually is newer for both Julia and myself and came on the heels of our own (laughs) postpartum recovery, which most things do, right? (laughs) We um, found ourselves in a growing friendship um, through meeting at church and having children who are the same age and having these struggles with Mm. understanding how our bodies were now coping with post-pregnancy. Or not. Or not, (laughs) right. Um, And uh, as I mentioned, uh, I was a former athlete and also had a hip replacement at the age of 34. And so having to understand like, how my body was designed to move and it couldn't move that way anymore and how how could i feel good in the body that also produced these beautiful children <laughs> um and so it led us to continuing education um and we each went through uh, a series of of continuing education that just opened our eyes to this world of corrective exercise Mm. and how we didn't have to live with the pain or the frustration of not understanding how our bodies were after pregnancy. Now, both of you have a special certification and it's called what? Um, We both have a certification called pregnancy or let's see. Postpartum and Pregnancy Corrective Exercise Specialist. It's Uh, a mouthful. So we shorten it to (laughs) (laughs) PCES. Much better. And so I know listeners probably have some ideas as as they hear you say this, but what are some of the problems that postpartum women face from an occupational therapy standpoint? I think some of the most common ones that people would think of would be incontinence and prolapse, um, mommy tummy or lower belly pooch. Um, but frequently shoulder pain, neck pain, low back pain, um, all of those can be results of, uh, pregnancy. Yeah. So give us some idea of, you know, what you're going to do to help kind of these problems. So as we discussed, first, we're going to come in and we're going to do an occupational profile and we're going to learn what things are important to you. But one of the things that Sarah and I do is we do we watch you move and we look to see what movement patterns are there that could be enhanced or could be adjusted. So we always take um, pictures of your posture, Mm. Um, not because we're looking for perfect posture, because we're not we don't live in a static (laughs) posture. The goal is not to have a perfect static posture. Actually, the goal is to be able to move in and out of different postures smoothly and without pain and then to know how to use different positions to you mechanically um, to your advantage but there are there are um, certain things that tend to be regular patterns each person's unique so i'm always like hesitant Mm -hmm. to say that this is what happens but if you are pregnant in order to make room for the baby, there are typical patterns that the body will fall into. So typically the pelvis will tilt forward mm-hmm. and then the ribs will flare up. The, um, the abdominals will lengthen. Yeah. And then that's what makes room for baby. And we need that to happen, right? Like we have a problem if that doesn't happen. <laughs> but, um, you know, they say it makes like 30, day, 30 days to make a habit or however many days you want to stay to make a habit. And a full-term, full-term pregnancy is 280 days. Mm. So what happens is, is that women have that baby and they don't necessarily 
bring the pelvis back into a regular or a, a neutral position. Mm-hmm. The ribs stay flared out, and that leaves the abdominals in a position where they cannot, they don't have the mechanical advantage to work that the way they should. So if you have a diastasis, for example, that's one I missed on common um, situations. If you have a diastasis, your diastasis may not be healing. A diastasis is a gap between the abdominals. Um, right, not the same as a hernia for listeners. Correct. But this natural opening that happens mm-hmm. to let that giant uterus expand forward. And it's not the end of the world. 100% of women actually have a diastasis at their due date. Yeah, you, you pretty much have to, don't you? Mm-hmm. And But many of them spontaneously heal. Yeah. Sometimes if they're not spontaneously healing, part of the problem can be that the position that your pelvis and your ribs are in are not putting your abdominals into a position where they can work to close that gap. Mm. Um, so you know, as moms and as as professionals, there's sort of a list of things that, that all new moms are going to do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What are the most famous ones for causing problems? I would say... <laughs> What's that? Getting out of bed. Yeah. Well, so three. Especially the C section moms. Yes. So three immediately jumped into my mind. One is getting out of bed, mom herself getting out of bed. Two is uh, carrying the car seat. And uh, three just left my mind. Um, Feeding? Yes. Feeding, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, posture Mm. during those sessions um, can greatly impact how a mom is feeling in her body. Um, So if we think about getting out of bed, most people hear that baby cry and immediately wanna jump up and get out of bed. Um, That can put a lot of pressure on the core if you sit straight up. So rolling to the side and sitting up that way is going to go a long way in protecting that core from either uh, slowly healing or re-injury because there's so much pressure. Yeah, especially C-section moms trying yes. to set up the first few times. I think they will universally experience a lot of pain, sure. a lot of problems. And that is one of the things that we cover a lot in our practice is pressure management. Mm. So understanding that pressure is a good thing and we need pressure, internal pressure to protect our spine, but we need it to help us and not to hurt us. Mm. Uh, and so we do a lot of teaching in that area. If the pressure goes into the wrong place, so if it goes down, you can uh, stop prolapse healing, create a prolapse, make a prolapse worse. (laughs) If the pressure is going forward into a diastasis, you can be hurting your diastasis. You can Mm. be putting yourself not a a great place to heal. Um, So managing the pressure is probably step one and a half. Yeah. Breathing would be number one. <laughs> and, and breathing is what affects pressure, which is why I put it at one and a half. Sure. So, you know, it would not be uncommon for a new breastfeeding mom to have shoulder pain. That would be Absolutely not. Because, one, you're, you know, there, there's this beautiful, you know, ideal posture when you're breastfeeding. But the reality is, is that oftentimes you're contorted in positions because you are at church or you're at the grocery store or, you know, you're in the car and the and doctor's the room. doctor's waiting room and, and baby needs to be fed. And so you, you work with what you have available. So often women are hunched forward in kind of that rounded protect protective posture and that shortens the pec muscles 
lengthens the back muscles, which causes pain, um, not only in the upper back and neck, but in the low back as well. Mm. And I know I've experienced, and I'll bet every listener has, if the baby's crying and you get them to stop crying, you freeze. And it doesn't matter how much pain you're in, (laughs) because you're afraid if you move and you get comfortable, uh, they'll awaken. Absolutely. Moms do freeze because they the baby has fallen asleep, and we are not messing Barely with that breathing, baby. Yeah. It, it actually it makes me think about um, a particular point that so often I feel like women go to their six week postpartum uh, visit, or even when they're pregnant, and maybe they are like Sarah, where they were an athlete already, and they're continuing to exercise. And the advice that is given is to just listen to mm. your body. And I, I have a little bit of a problem <laughs> with that because the thing is, is that mothers are. Uh, trained, I mean, not actually trained, but they they end up not listening to their bodies all of the time. And we have to, we have to for human survival. If we listened to our bodies, we wouldn't get up when the baby cries in the middle of the night and feed it. We would sleep (laughs) because we want our sleep. So we are really, really great at um, tuning out of our bodies. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that Sarah and I work on right away is tuning back in with our bodies. Where where are your abs? Mm -hmm. Where are your glutes? Can you gather those muscles? Can you, you know, before we even try and get them working um, in the direction that they should and in the order that they should and, and all of those things, like, can you even find them? Because a lot of times we tune our bodies completely out Mm -hmm. and we have to bring it back to say, okay, we need to have a general awareness of our body mm-hmm. so that we can use it in such a way that doesn't create injury or worsen injury. Um, that's interesting. Listening to you say that, I'm reminded about my wife who used to be a big runner, she, not as much anymore, but she ran a marathon. Mm-hmm. And a couple of minutes into the marathon, her left knee started hurting. And so she wasn't about to quit because she was an athlete and you don't listen to your body when, you, when you're an athlete, right? So she changed the way she was running and actually pretty seriously injured her other knee, protecting the one that started hurting. But that's probably a good example, isn't it? Right. That's more of like a, you know, a, a big trauma right mm-hmm. there because she did it hard and right away and acute. But yeah. these are little like micro traumas that, yeah, yeah. That, that moms are doing all of the time. And next thing you know... Uh, you've got this nagging low back pain that you can't ever seem to get rid of. Mm. And you're wondering, how did it get there? Well, it got there because you compensated. Yeah. So getting, get, we said getting out of bed, that's a big deal, especially if you've had a C-section. Uh, just breastfeeding, positioning, uh, and car seats. I watch moms now carry the car seats, and the car seats have grown over the years. They are a lot larger and a lot heavier than when I carried a car seat. Uh, what are what are some other hot topics in the postpartum period for women? I would say baby wearing. I think that oh, uh, I we've already that. discovered um, that uh, because baby wearing is awesome. I wore all of my babies. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love me some baby wearing. But if, you know, we there's a big push to make sure that baby wearing is safe for babies, you know, yeah. close enough to kiss, da 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 da. All the, I don't remember them because my youngest is five now, but I remember that there were rules. Sure. I don't remember being any t- being taught any rules for myself, yeah. making sure that the carrier fit me. You know, you think about um, high schoolers or even my our fifth graders. <laughs> 
our fifth graders backpacks oh, right yes. and you know they've got the strap super loose because that's cool and then it's hanging and there's so much stuff and your yeah. posture and like it's just not good news well okay if you wear your baby the same way in the front you if you have it too tight if mm. you have it too high if you have it too low um if you you i don't know those are the basics you're really gonna be, you're going to be prone to injury you're going to be prone back. to injury yeah. yeah and so uh we have already asked patients to bring their carriers in mm. to bring their carriers in and so that we can look at them mm. and we can say all right let's adjust this so that it is in a position to really help you because baby wearing is the bomb but let's not make it a pain also sure what about those moms who've had a cesarean birth what are the unique or maybe we should say special things related to the postpartum healing period for the mom who's had that abdominal incision. Because when, you know, when I think about a C-section, most of the surgery I do is uber delicate, micro robotic surgery. And then occasionally I do a C-section, which seems barbaric. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is a tough, tough surgery. I mean, you know, we make an incision, we pull the abdominal muscles apart, and it, it's rather brutal. There's just no way to describe it. So what are the unique things that those women need to be aware of as they come home? When I was an OT student, I actually got to spend some, uh, like one week in the NICU, and I was lucky enough to go into an OR and witness a cesarean. And it, absolutely, yeah. it's, uh, it is crazy how physically intense a cesarean is. And so I think step one is just for women to realize that they have had major abdominal surgery. Set their expectations accordingly. So, yes, yeah. to set expectations, especially if it was an unplanned cesarean, yeah, sure. you know, so it was kind of a surprise to begin with. Um, if you went and had knee surgery, you probably wouldn't expect to be up and cooking dinner in a couple of days or even a couple of weeks necessarily, but somehow women have these expectations mm. of themselves. I just had a cousin who had a baby. It was not a cesarean, but I couldn't believe the things that she thought that she should be able to do like four days postpartum. I was like, woman, sit down, you know? So I think first just understanding that it was a major surgery and all of the different layers that had to be cut through mm -hmm. in order to, to get the baby out is the first step is just understanding. Yes, and, and honoring and giving your body the time to heal so that recovery goes smoothly versus um, a jagged line. So it's a, a consistent path trend upward versus advancing and then backfalling, advancing and backfalling. So the overall recovery takes longer when you do it that way. So it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare, right? We really want that tortoise approach, the slow, mm -hmm. steady um, piece of it. Um, and as far as uh, occupational therapy and interventions for women who have had C-sections, we will start with breathing, understanding that breathing. And because really, for every single patient that we see, breathing is going to be the foundation. And the reason it's the foundation is because it is the source of pressure management. It is how we manage pressure in our core. Um, it's how we protect our spine. It's how we re protect those abdominal muscles. Mm -hmm. So especially for those women who have had that invasive procedure, 
in the front part of their core. We want to be sure that they are breathing in a way that supports them. Mm. And then also helping with scar massage, which oh. I think is something um, that not a lot of people understand. Yeah, that's that, an unusual phrase. Talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So the body is amazing, right? Mm. Anytime that there is an injury, I was just listening to something the other day where they were talking about when a bone breaks, how much the body sends and how much stronger that area of the bone is mm. than before because the body repairs it. And it's the same thing when there's a surgical wound, incision, the body is going to send pieces to fix that and oftentimes it will send more than is necessary so you'll get adhesions where the skin um, can stick so there'll be sticking points and we can do what's called a scar massage to help relieve some of that so that the muscle and the fascia can move like they're designed to move and prevent other compensation by the muscles. Now, I don't think you're talking about cosmetics there per se. You're talking about pain and function, right? Absolutely. But is there a cosmetic component to that as well? Sure. The scar massage can help minimize the bulkiness of scars mm -hmm. and can help help it flatten. And a lot um, of women will experience, or they'll use the phrase dimpling at the incision where just one little part is sort of tucked down and doesn't move about freely and cosmetically that can be unpleasant for some people. Sure, and some of that can be managed with mm. scar massage and it's something that we can teach the, the woman to do herself. So, you know, um, we know a lot about occupational therapy now, thanks to you. Um, and most people, as you mentioned earlier, know a fair amount about physical therapy. We have a physical therapist who specializes in the pelvic floor, Nicole Bobe, who's done episodes with us before. But maybe do a little compare and contrast between the two disciplines of occupational therapy versus physical therapy and, and examples of what would be perfect for each. So I think... First of all, I would I would start off by saying that Nicole Bobe is an exception to the PT rule. I think Nicole <laughs> She's the exception um, to a lot of rules. She's just <laughs> exceptional. Yeah. exceptional. I think yeah. she has the mind of an OT. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to other uh, physical therapists, mm. but um, she comes at her skill with a holistic mindset as well versus a here's a knee, here's an injury, I'm gonna fix the injury to the knee. Or here's a pelvis, there's an injury, I'm gonna fix the pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, so, so often that is what the PTs are trained to do is to look at an isolated uh, injury and fix that component. Um, whereas our approach is much more holistic to, okay, this is where the injury is, but where did it come from? Did it come, like, why did that knee um, flare up? Well, it's because Marianne changed her gait and the yeah. body wasn't accustomed to that. Um, and then on top of that, taking it even the, the step further of how is the environment supporting or hindering what this person is, is doing? So I hurt my shoulder. Maybe a physical therapist would work on my shoulder, but an occupational therapist might help me not hurt it the next time I do that activity that I like to do every other day. I agree, and I would say that it's getting harder sometimes to tell the difference. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when you are watching a session, okay, so if you just sat in a gym and watched a PT session and watched an OT session, you might sit there and say, what is the difference? I, see. I think that the intention 
is frequently Mm -hmm. the difference. So um, I think that the goal is distance or range of motion or decreased pain, uh, in a PT note would be more of the goal, okay? An OT note would have a similar treatment for the goal of being able to stand and hold my baby at church, (laughs) right? So I'm still doing standing tabletop activities and working on standing endurance with the goal of getting to this occupation that it has value to this person of standing. And the reason I think it's hard is because I think that PTs have picked up on Mm -hmm. this over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, when I was at University of Indianapolis, they didn't do this when Sarah was there. They would, I don't remember if it was quarterly or twice a year, but um, they have a physical therapy school also. And they would get us together and we would look at a case together and we would talk about, because historically there there have been some turf wars between Mm -hmm. PTs and OTs. um, And I'm really blessed to say that that has not been the case anywhere that I have ever worked. Um, It's always been a collaboration. Um, and just trying to get the client better. But historically, that that has sometimes been the case. Mm-hmm. Historically, they've even talked about just dividing the body. OT's got the top and PT's <laughs> got the bottom. Life doesn't work that way. You know, we've come a really far way, but as we come a far way, I think it is harder to tell the difference. And so a lot of times I think it's about the, the intention. The other mm-hmm. thing that would come from those case um, discussions was that a physical therapy student once told me that, you know, PTs want things done, and, and I'm. this is what this person told me. It could be an overgeneralization. You know, they want a specific pattern of movement, whereas I know we just talked about all these patterns of movements, but as long as it's a pain-free pattern of movement, I don't mind if you do your dishes sitting down, <laughs> if that's not important to you, yeah. right? So, like, I'm not quite always as worried about how you do something because you're a unique individual um as long as how you're doing something uh makes you happy doesn't increase injury um doesn't cause injury Mm -hmm. but i think the intention is different you watch a session Mm -hmm. it looks the same what's different about it the intention and tying it back to occupation is the difference yes i think about um our birth patients so uh, as you know, because you're part of it, we're trying to get all of our birth patients to see you, especially our cesarean patients, to try to get them on the right path early on. And we want them to see you somewhere in that three to six weeks after their birth. Um, but after a vaginal birth, it, it is not uncommon for a woman to experience some pelvic floor dysfunction, maybe some urinary stress, urinary incontinence. Um, I, I think it's probably fair to say, you tell me if I'm wrong, but a physical therapist might work on the pelvic floor today, uh, and then she might hand them off to you to say, you know what, for the rest of your life you have to cough, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to sneeze, and you're going to pick up heavy things. Let's figure out a way to do that so that you don't continue to leak or maybe continue to worsen uh, pelvic prolapse. Is, is that a fair characterization? I think it's very fair, and I think that so many occupations change after you have a baby, whether it's yeah. your first one you know, or it's your seventh one. Like There is a, a like you're doing things a little differently because you have a new member of your family. <laughs> and so I think it, you know, most people think of pelvic floor therapists and they think of um, pelvic floor PTs, mm-hmm. but more and more OTs are getting into pelvic floor. And of course there's internal pelvic floor work and there's external mm-hmm. um 
I'm not differentiating between that, but I believe that more OTs belong in the pelvic floor world and that we're just kind of on the cusp of that right now. And we belong there because of occupation and because how occupations change and are important because you have a new member of your family. Interesting. You know, I guess this is a spoiler alert for women who are listening who have not had a child, but nothing's really quite the same after. <clears throat> well, yeah, so so one of the one of the things that Julia and I always say is that postpartum is forever. You, you once right. you go once you're there, you can't go back. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to we we want to kind of move away from this idea of bouncing back yeah. because you will be different. Your body is different uh, no matter what type of delivery you had. Mm-hmm. And so we um I, th- I think it's important to mention too that it's not just immediate postpartum women that we work with, but you could be five, six, 25, 26 years postpartum and still benefit from some of these corrective techniques that we use. Because I'm guessing, listening to you, you might have started uh, a body mechanic habit 25 years earlier. Mm, that's absolutely. Just, it's stuck with you. Yes. And now you've got back and hip and pelvic floor problems. Right. Yeah, that's interesting what we do to ourselves, isn't it? We don't do it intentionally. I think that's the thing, you know, it's because it, we don't want to like say, oh, we don't take good care of ourselves. I think it's a lack of knowledge problem, yeah. you know, and that we are doing better when we know better. Yeah. And so once we learn how, well, body mechanics don't like we don't need body mechanics just for moving a box or mm-hmm. for doing this. Like body mechanics are all day, every day. As we sit here, we are using body mechanics, right. you know, and so looking at our body mechanics all the time. Um, and and we important. are. I think it's fair to say we're designed to move, aren't we? Um, oh, yes. I, I don't think our creator thought that maybe he would have us sitting at desks so much. Uh, I think <laughs> that the, is true. When the original plan started, maybe the design, if you look at us, that's not really what it appears that we're designed. But today, that's what we do a lot. Um, I, you know, the other interesting thing, here we are in the upper Midwest, Um I think it's fair to say that we see a lot of large families, uh, especially in our practice. And so a young woman who is maybe having her first baby, she's not going to be the same with the same issues as she is after her sixth baby or her seventh baby, which is in our community is not uncommon. Um, Could you envision young women taking a preventive approach for the long road, even though maybe they're in their 20s when they have their first child? Absolutely. Um, I think the more knowledge you have mm-hmm. about your own body, mm-hmm. there there are a lot of um, generalized rules. Like when when you for, when you become pregnant for the first time, you know Google is your best friend, right? You're you're <laughs> or what, your worst enemy, right? <laughs> like what am I supposed to be feeling? What was that movement or what was you know? And so we want to capitalize on being in tune with your body but also knowing you know, what movements work well, mm-hmm. what movements hinder, um, and, and really helping the woman, the individual woman, have knowledge of their own unique body. So women are uniquely designed mm. in general, Amen. and then each woman is uniquely designed <laughs> from one another. And so that is part of our role is to figure out what are your unique design pieces Mm. and how do we maximize those in the occupations that you want to participate in yeah it's interesting Uh, and and age is such an important thing i know my my kids when they were younger they would say dad you know do this 
And I would think to myself, I, I could do that, <laughs> but unlike you, I'll hurt for the next three weeks if I do that. But, but to ignore the fact that we change as we age, uh, and youth is a marvelous thing, but it's also, it's also short-lived. <laughs> you know, we've talked a lot about like um, breathing and body mechanics, but mm. I think one component that we probably haven't talked about just because of how it's gone is that we haven't talked a lot about strength Mm -hmm. and strength is a big thing Mm -hmm. for Sarah and I, and it's important for women because we start to lose, I mean, humans lose muscle mass at a certain age, but women in particular, Mm -hmm. we start to lose muscle mass. Well, when we don't have, um, our, when our muscles are not strong enough to protect our joints, our joints suffer. Um, and I think we, we joke around, one of our phrases is that motherhood is a full contact sport (laughs) and with motherhood being a full contact sport, you need to have the muscles or you don't need to, it would benefit you to have muscles to support that full contact sport. You decrease, if you have enough muscle, you decrease your risk of injury, you decrease pain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, first we look at your posture, we look at your breathing, we look at your body mechanics, but then we're gonna work your muscles. Because if you have strong glutes Mm -hmm. to do the job they were intended to do, then once again, less low back pain. Mm. I mean, it speaks to that, you know, the wonder of youth, the things you can get away with when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work as we age. But if you take the time Uh, as you age to put the muscle on, then maybe you won't struggle quite as much. Well, I know I've learned a lot more about occupational therapy, and I hope our listeners have too. Um, The program that we've established with it, we're trying to get post-delivery patients in to see you ladies as quickly as we can and as many as we can. But as we wrap things up, what are some final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with? Well, I would say that, um, you know, this adventure for us is, is truly a, a work in in God's timing and God's plan. And who knew that helping each other understand our own bodies would lead to Mm. this desire to help other women to really uh, gain joy in motherhood Mm. and in understanding and appreciating the design that God has given them in their bodies. Well, that's so well said. I think... What I would just like to say to young mothers or to new mothers or to you've just had your seventh babies that like it's okay to take care of yourself also. Mm-hmm. I think so frequently we focus on taking care of ourselves while we're pregnant and it's not just about ourselves, it's because we're taking care of our baby. Then the baby comes out and it's all about the baby and the family and the this that uh, you deserve love too, mama. And sometimes uh, being deserved of, or whatever, showing yourself love is taking care of the the nagging pains and like there is help out there to help you with that so i would just say like take care of yourself mama too in addition well i hope you've enjoyed this discussion of occupational therapy and what it has to offer women in the postpartum period and beyond i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i've enjoyed bringing it to you and i hope you have a better sense of exactly what it has to offer in general and what our two occupational therapists more specifically have to offer our FMCC patients. It's been a pleasure spending this time with you. Thank you for listening. Please share this podcast with your friends. Are there things you'd like to hear more about? If so, I would really love to hear from you. 
contact me at Dr. Stroud, that's D-R-S-T-R-O-U-D, at fertilityandmidwifery.com. I'll be back soon with another episode of All Things Women's Health and Always Catholic. May God bless you and Mary keep you. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. 